If you are a guest here this morning, you came on a really, really exciting day. We're glad you're here. My name is Doug DeMint, and I have the wonderful honor of being the lead pastor here at Grace Assembly. Back in May, the pastors of our church had an opportunity to get away to our network conference, which is a conference where all of the pastors of the Assembly of God churches in the state of New York get together, and our network superintendent, Dr. Dwayne Durst, who occasionally, when he's not on the road, slips in to join us from time to time, ministered on the topic of imagine. As he was ministering, I knew that this day was coming, because we've been planning for this particular Sunday for about six months, and I told him at the end of that, I said, I'm going to use your theme and, and some of your points uh, when I talk about uh, the launching of a vision for our church and, and what looks like next. And so uh, if, if Pastor Dwayne is listening, I gave him credit uh, just so that we know where some of those great thoughts, if there's a great thought in this message, it probably came from him. And, uh, but it was an exciting time for all of us. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask that you would turn to Ephesians chapter 3 because today the topic that I'd like to share with you is imagine with me. Imagine with me. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21 state this. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, as we approach you this morning, we are so honored that you have allowed us to release our souls in praise. I thank you, Lord, for those who are gifted in leading us in worship and who have prepared us as if the soil of our hearts are now ready to have the word planted. I ask, God, that through your anointing, you would inspire our hearts, our minds, and our imagination to begin to dream dreams that the Spirit would place within us so that through your power and your wisdom, you could lead them to fulfillment so that your name will be made famous. And this we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. For those of you that may be following along on the outline on your bulletin, you will discover that uh, the outline that I have today is going to be a little bit different than the one that uh, I gave to uh, uh, Jeff this week, so just have to follow along with me. Imagination is a wonderful thing. In fact, this past week, I have been an astronaut, I have been the beast in Beauty and the Beast. I have been a tickle monster. I have been Princesses Ariel, Anna, Elsa, and Moana. 
This is what a grandfather does to get into the world of his grandchildren. All we have to do is watch our children at play to recognize the marvelous gift that God has given to us with imagination. So much of what we live with and depend on started with the imagination of someone. In fact, I remember several years ago, my brother-in-law who works in, um, in California was telling me that this is back when cell phones were still flip phones and all you used them for was just to call people. He told me, my company is working on ways in which your phone will become the camera. And I looked at him and I said, why would anybody need a camera in a phone? He goes, oh, that's just the beginning. We are working on apps. And I said, what is an app? He goes, you are literally going to be able to play games on your phone. And I'm looking at my flip phone thinking, what kind of games could you play on this? And I thought about that this morning as I was going through my text and my emails and checking the internet of how far we have come because of the imagination of individuals who could see things that we couldn't see that today have become part of our everyday life. The reason those things exist is because God gave mankind the gift of imagination and tapped us with his creativity, and he expects the church to walk in that for, his, uh, for our good and his glory. So it goes farther than that. God has promised us as his people to do immeasurably more than we could ever imagine. So listen to what Paul says to the Ephesians. He says to them, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all, than all that we ask. How many of you are great askers at Christmas time? Great list makers? You're liars. There's only three of you raising your hands. I know that you're great at list making when you think there's a gift involved. He says that he uh, can give immeasurably more than all we ask for or are capable of imagining according to his power that is work within you. And so I want to start this message this morning by telling you what I imagine Grace Assembly to be as we move forward and the future of this great church. And this church is not great because I'm the pastor. It's not great because you attend. It is great because the fingerprints of God are all over his church. And he says that we are to be his light and his voice to this world. So as it relates to our church ministry, I imagine Grace Assembly of God is a place where the love of God is expressed in a friendly handshake or a hug when you enter. A place where there is a sense of God's presence and anticipation as you are seated. A place where we participate in worship that is vibrant and God-honoring. I imagine Grace Assembly as a place where people enthusiastically join in unleashing praise from within. And a life-giving response from our God who inhabits the praises of His people. I imagine a church where congregants come and know they will receive a fresh word from God presented in a form that is relatable to their life and their learning style and presented in Pentecostal fervor. I imagine a church where the gifts of the Holy Spirit are functioning in scriptural guidelines and the church is gripped by the supernatural knowledge and power of God. 
I imagine altars that are full as people find their needs met for a Savior in Jesus. I imagine altar workers willing to pray and believe for salvation and for healing and deliverance and restoration of marriages and families restored as they respond to Christ. I imagine a church where our people are passionately in love with Jesus that is demonstrated in the way that we treat one another. I imagine a congregation that is fluent in the gospel and are unafraid and unashamed to speak of their testimony in the marketplace. I imagine a church where every believer is spirit-filled, spirit-empowered, and spirit-led to participate in the last day's revival that is promised to us in Scripture. I imagine a church that joins forces with other churches in our community who are followers of Jesus Christ, and that in unity we are impacting the culture of Syracuse by living out the good news in our hometown. I imagine a church where every believer lives on mission. I imagine a church where we are so deeply in love with the Lord and each other that we actually do put others first and compassionately touch those who are hurting and hopeless. I imagine a children's ministry that reach hundreds on a weekly basis because of the top quality ministers that we have available to us. I imagine a church where we have a preschool that meets the needs of those families who need a safe place for their children to go and in an environment where they can be empowered. I want to tell you something. We have been blessed in this community and in our church with the combinations and connections that we have made with our local school districts. In the last week of school, we were able to sponsor luncheons of teacher appreciation in the Solvay and West Genesee schools. I have received thank you notes from the principals and the teachers who were thankful that people in our church thought of them and appreciated them in such a tangible way. We came to discover that there were families in our community who even on subsidies were not able to provide lunches for their children. And when we found out what the schools were able to give them, we went to the schools and said, listen, if there is anybody behind in their lunch payments, let us know so that we can take care of that so that those kids can have a good meal at school and not be isolated. I believe and imagine that is the role of the church in a community, to love its people and love its schools. I imagine a youth ministry that helps students navigate the turbulence of adolescence with biblical truth and in a community. I can imagine a youth ministry that has after-school tutoring ministries available for our students so that they have places to go. I can imagine a Just Friends ministry growing and reaching so many of our community's lonely and isolated seniors that the lower level of our church won't be able to hold them all. I imagine God birthing new ministries we've not even imagined yet because our community will have needs that arise and Grace Assembly needs to be poised to be able to meet those. I imagine a church where you just don't attend here but there's 100% participation as you find your place in the body of Christ. I imagine Grace Assembly in a constant state of growth because people are willing to invite their friends, their families, and their neighbors knowing that they will meet God here. 
When I imagine what the people of Grace Assembly are known for in the community, I imagine you to be people who are empowered, anointed, equipped, passionate, devoted, loving, courageous, compassionate, spirit-filled followers of Jesus Christ, and that the light of Jesus' name will be made known here because Grace Assembly exists to honor God. I ask you, would you join me in imagining what God has in store for his church because I imagine all of this taking place in a better building and in a new location because God is up to something here. Now, I've had a wild imagination since I was a kid. And God instructs us in the word that he wants to do more than I can imagine. He wants to do more than you can imagine, much more. So here's what I ask you. What are you dreaming? What are things that begin to filter through your mind that as you begin to think about being used of the Lord? What are things that are in your heart? What is God planting in you that you are imagining because I believe that from that will percolate to the surface new ministries and ways for us to reach our community because I imagine a church of grace assembly being enmeshed in the community where we're not a place where people just come but if we were to cease to exist the community would feel a great loss because of the way we interact with people I met some of our talented emerging leaders recently and we begin to talk and I can tell you that they have dreams that God is birthing in their hearts as it relates to this church and this congregation. As Paul writes, he says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we all ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. No prayer has ever been framed or uttered that has a bolder request than what Paul prayed in this passage. It is impossible for us to ask too much since the Father giving will exceed our capacity for asking or even imagining. Now for those of you that like to come to church and tweet occasionally, here is a tweetable thought. God's giving exceeds our capacity for asking or even imagining. God's giving exceeds our capacity for asking or even imagining. I suggest that there are three dimensions to God's dealing with us in this passage that should enthuse us and infuse us with hope as we look forward. Our spiritual dreams, our imagination, the things that God wants to do in us are subject to, number one, the awesome power of God. The awesome power of God. How great is His power? I would venture to tell you that none of us know the answer to that question because we've all seen it in such limited capability within our own lives. Paul says He is the one who is able and then leaves it open as to what He is able to do because there's no conclusive answer to the end of it. Oh, hallelujah, that we serve a God who is able. 
He is the powerful one in Romans chapter 16, verse 25, when it says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and according to the preaching of Jesus Christ. We have a God who has the ability to give you strength when you feel all wrung out beyond what you think. He is the powerful one in Jude, verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. He has the power to keep you faithful when you don't think that you can make it. He is the one who can accomplish incredible, great deeds on behalf of his people. And in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, which is the preamble to this great prayer that we're reading in this third verse, Paul states this. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Here's what I need you to know today. Some of you have been praying and asking, God, you know what I need within my life. You know the blessing that I need. I want you to know that that blessing has been provided and in the heavenly realms it's available. And the more you press in on God, the more that window opens. And the blessing which God has already given will begin to reach your heart and your family as you pursue him with all of your heart. Because he's already given every spiritual blessing in Christ. In other words, God has already made available everything that is necessary to accomplish your spiritual dreams, but we must acquire and activate those blessings through a fervent pursuit of Jesus Christ. Not even the immensity of the request in the preceding verses, nor the unbridled ability of our human imagination can provide any limit to what God can accomplish. We are drawn to share in his prayer when he says, all we ask or imagine. Paul is indicating to us that we need to be stretched by the limits of his prayer. He uses a comparison that is a rare compound adverb, which is at best rendered by God will do infinitely more than, infinitely more than, if you can dream it, if you imagine it, if you have a, a, a sensation in your mind or a recurring thought, God not only wants to accomplish that, he can do infinitely more than you can dream. Bottom line, there's no limit to what God can do because he is all-powerful. Secondly, we can dream and we can imagine and we can work because we have the limitless wisdom of God. Ephesians 3, verses 17 and 18 says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Now, within the, the being captured within this thought of the love of Christ is not just his love, but his knowledge and his wisdom and his ability to make things happen. So Paul's not actually looking at the dimensions of the cosmos, but the metaphorical dimensions of the infinite wisdom of God to bring to pass the things that he places in your mind. I love this. That if God says, I can place it in your mind to dream it, then I've got the wisdom to bring it to pass. In a parallel passage that's found in Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, he says, My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, 
so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, here's the interesting passage, part about this passage. You can't imagine God-sized dreams and you don't have the wisdom to accomplish it unless you are digging into Christ to get the hidden wisdom that's available there. It doesn't just happen. It happens because you're pursuing Jesus. And as you're pursuing Jesus, the Holy Spirit begins to enlighten to your heart and mind things that he wants to plant in you. And the deeper you dig, the more treasure you find and the more your heart is encouraged as he begins to tell you this is how we're going to do it. And he outlines the plan. One of the things that I love about Paul the most is that in his writing, he can't help but have his bubbly personality come out from time to time. In fact, in verse uh, 11 of Romans chapter, th- uh, Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36, he begins to try to talk about the wisdom of God, and it turns out being a praise session. I mean, he just gets his praise on as he's writing this out. Because here's what he says. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever first given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. He can't even talk about the wisdom of God without just stopping and raising his hands and having a little shouting with God of glory because of the great wisdom and knowledge of God. So here's what he is saying. God's wisdom is very deep. So deep that his judgments are unsearchable. In other words, I can't get there from here. It's beyond me. God's wisdom is so deep that his ways are untraceable. I can't follow the way that he thinks. I can't follow the path that he goes because my mind is incapable of it. I am in hopelessly over my head as I try to pursue the thoughts of God. It's so deep that no one has been or could ever be his counselor or tell him a better way to do things, although I have certainly tried. In fact, the wisdom of God is so deep and so expansive that he does not and cannot increase in wisdom. The only way he can increase in wisdom is for something to come into God's mind that has not already come out of God's mind. But Romans chapter 11 verse 36 insists it cannot be done when it says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. There's never a thought that he hasn't already thought of. So God's ways are perfectly wise. There are no upgrades to his wisdom that are needed or even available. Think about this. God is constantly synergizing billions and billions of strands of data drawn from every possible field of knowledge and realms of experience so that he holds every relevant factor in every situation with total and perfect knowledge. He constantly weighs the facts, looks at the implications, realizes the cost, the consequences on how it all fits together into his purpose with flawless skill 
so that what he does or wills is always the best possible move that can be made. And God does this all the time without the least mental strain and without crashing his hard drive. Does anybody on earth understand this? Nope. Because God's wisdom is totally out of our league. So we ask him for the ability to trust him more and to give us greater wisdom. What we are about to embark on as a church, I can tell you that I have spent more time asking for God's wisdom than perhaps I have in my lifetime. Because from the human eye's perspective, there are some dreams that God has given not only me, but our staff and and those of you that are sitting here that without the wisdom of God of how to get there, we would be lost. I don't want to be a dreamer. I want to be a dreamer and a God-doer. And God's wisdom is required for that. He knows how to do it. He's got plans. He said, seek me and you shall find. And so we will seek his wisdom together. Our ability to imagine greater things is well within God's wise ability to lead. Thirdly, we view this promise through the, or we view this scripture through the extravagant promise of God. It seems so far out of our reach that unless God intervenes, none of this can ever come true for us. So how can we know that God will do it? How can we know that he will answer such a big prayer? We find it in a few simple words in verse 20 of Ephesians 3 when it simply says this, Now to him who's able. Now to him who is able. No matter what we think, this is not impossible. It all goes back to the first request that when we are strengthened inside by the Holy Spirit, this is the end result. So Paul gives us an answer in verses 20 and 21. And the answer to this prayer is it's not up to us. It's up to God. He brings this magnificent prayer to a doxology and he concludes this prayer with these words. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. As I was contemplating this passage, there were several things that stood out to me, but one of them that I could not get out of my mind was that this is something that he does throughout generations. I recognize today that I am standing in a church building that I get to lead that I had absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with the planning of where it is, the building, and I never gave a dollar to build this building. But somebody before us recognized that in the generations to come, they were going to need a facility to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe that it is incumbent upon us to recognize that we, should the Lord tarry, are a part of a generational ministry. That there will be those that will come behind us that will be thankful that we took the opportunity to dream God-sized dreams and to let his wisdom lead us and to believe that the promises, although they are extravagant, are well within the capability of God to do. And he's looking for a people that will let him move through them in supernatural ways. And that there will be other generations behind us that will be thankful that we recognize the generational blessing that comes from faithfulness where we are. One of the things I love about this verse, and I want to read it to you in the New King James, because I, there's some words there that 
that we need to grasp the meaning of, but in the New King James, it reads this way. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Now pay, pay, close, pay close attention to the phrase exceedingly abundantly because having two L-Y adverbs back to back sounds strange to our speech patterns and to our ears. Now we may wonder if it was some sort of a misprint, but it's not. The translators chose this odd formation because Paul made up a word. He created a brand new Greek word out of this, and here's where it came from. The three parts of the word he created were hooper, which means above and beyond, plus ek, which means out of, and then plus parasu, which means abundant. So the word that Paul made up to be put into Scripture means this, infinitely above and be all, all human measurement. Paul, in trying to describe God's ability to perform the things that he causes you to dream about, he says, the only way I can describe it is to make up a word that means his ability is infinitely above and beyond all your ability to even measure what he can do. And so the readers of Greek, when they got to this, it was a brand new word made up of three, and it probably caused them to stop. And in English, it comes out exceedingly abundantly above. God's ability is off the charts. It can't be measured. It's so great, it can't even be imagined. This verse is teaching us exceeding, abundant, immeasurable, infinite. This is all terms that we use to talk about the ableness of God to do what he wants to do. There are no limits to what God can do. We can't even imagine what God can do, and his power is so great that we don't even know what we don't even know as it relates to what God can do. So Paul isn't saying in the scripture, boy, I hope God has the power to do what I'm dreaming. I hope so. We live in a world where people surrounding us are always saying, well, I'm not sure about that. We live in a world where we recognize our inability. We live in a hope so or maybe so or it might be kind of world, and that's okay. It's not a sign of weakness to admit you're weak when you are tapped into the one who is able. And he says, in your weakness, I will be your strength. What a magnificent statement of God. That he's able to do anything to answer prayer. John Stott points out that there are seven stages to this great statement by the Apostle Paul. And I just want to read them to you because I found them to be so fascinating. The first is, he is able to do because he's not idle He's not inactive, and he's not dead. Oh, hallelujah! I thought somebody would recognize today we serve a living God. He can do what we ask because he hears us when we pray. He can do what we think for he knows what we think before we think it because he's the originator of the thought. He can do all we ask or think because he knows it all, and he can do it all. He can do more than we ask or think because his plans are bigger than our plans. He can do much more than we ask or think because there's no holding back with God. And number seven, he can do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we can imagine because he is the God of the superlative and sometimes he just wants to show off. And he's waiting for his children to give him the opportunity. 
It is not our prayers that define his ability because he can do more than we pray. It is not our dreams and hopes that mark his ability because he can do things we can't even dream of. He's not limited by our prayers. Our problems are our biggest dreams because there's nothing he can't do. But he is giving his church the ability to imagine so that we can give him the ability to bring it to pass. So in conclusion, how do we apply this text? First, let me apply it to this church. I have often thought as I was preparing myself and praying and studying this week, what what would it be like if the Apostle Paul was the pastor of Grace Assembly today? What would his conversations with God be like as it relates to this? And I don't think the Apostle Paul would be impressed with what we've done yet. In fact, if Paul were the pastor of this church, I think that every time he lifted his eyes to heaven after having accomplished or seeing God accomplish something great, he would hear God say to him, Paul, I can do more in this church than you've yet asked or thought, which would lead Paul to pray for power and then step out in a new venture of faith that would stretch him as an individual and a minister and cause the people to be stretched with him. And then after God doing more, he would pray and say to God, see what we've done, and God would respond, Paul, I can do more, and so he would strike out again. And then God would say, I can do more. And each time he heard that, Paul would stretch himself out of his comfort zone and into the realm of the impossibility just so that he could hear God say, I can still do more. I can do more. I can do more. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And it's in that spirit this morning that I want to let you know that within six months, we are going to be celebrating our 100th anniversary. We have managed as a church to move twice that I know of. And in light of this text, I don't think that we need to spend too much time patting ourselves on the back of what God's been able to accomplish because I believe that what he is saying is that a 100-year-old church, if it has me in it, can dream like a child. That a 100-year-old church is just beginning to mature to the place where perhaps we can see through the eyes of the Spirit things as if they are, though they are not yet. That a 100-year-old church should be a place that has developed enough of a reputation that a community can trust that when there's a move of the Spirit, it will be something that's genuine and real and life-transforming. And also, I believe that he says that a 100-year-old church has not even scratched the surface of a changing community around it. We have passed the days when people drive through a community and see a church and say, I'm going to go in there today. Those days are gone. In fact, on a regular basis, we have more people listening to our services online than we have attending our church. There's a whole congregation of people stretched out across this nation and around the world that attend here regularly, though their bodies are never here. That's the day and age in which we are at. We're planting seeds with people's hearts that we've never met. So God, help us to imagine. Help us to dream. And help us as we enter into a new location. Today, we're kicking off a building fund campaign. You will find in a seat pocket in front of you, an envelope that looks like this, and I'm going to ask each of you to reach over and take one of them. There should be a card on the inside of it. It says, Building Fund, Grace Assembly. 
when the staff and I were planning this Sunday about six months ago, we were planning it on the, the idea that we were going to start something today so that when opportunity came, we would be prepared to jump on it financially. In the intervening six months, I can tell you that the timeline has been rapidly, rapidly moving. Two years ago, the board and I stood here and we told you that we were contemplating merging with another congregation and we looked into that and did our best to evaluate whether it would be good for all of us and in the end that wasn't what God wanted to do but I believe that he started that so that he could begin to awaken an imagination at Grace Assembly from there we begin to think okay if that's not it then Lord maybe there's an existing building around that we can try to get into and, and adjust it and we have gone and looked at buildings, schools that have closed, and others in the neighborhood, and as we got to those, we begin to recognize that the needs of our congregation presently, and the ministries that we want to begin, there's not a building out there that we've seen that can begin to touch what God wants to do, and our imagination begin to grow again. Ultimately, we have come to the conclusion that God wants us to start fresh and build a brand new building, so that we will have a location that would be available to our community where parking won't be an issue hallelujah where we don't have to cancel events because we don't have the room for our community to respond to them as a pastor it breaks my heart to know that we're afraid to let out the nets because of how many fish we're going to catch so God says dream and imagine about a month ago, we had a business meeting where you gave us the permission to respond that if we saw some property, that we would be able to put a deposit on it so that we could finish the investigation to see if that might be it. I was hoping that today I would be able to tell you that we're ready to call a business meeting, but we still have a couple of pieces of information that we need to get. But there's a property that's looking good. Interesting enough, one of the things that have kept this property from being built on is the fact that the bedrock comes up so close to the surface. And on the day I found that out, I came into the church and somebody stopped me and said, Pastor, I just want to give you a verse today. I said, okay. I said, I don't know if this means anything to you, but the Lord says, upon this rock, I will build my church. There, my arms are standing up. Did it mean anything to you? I said, maybe. So I'm going to ask you to dream. There are ministries that we need to develop. We just don't have the room for. We need divorce, abuse recovery ministries. Our community needs to feel the love of Jesus where they're at. We don't have the room for that. We don't have the room to run multiple adult training on a Wednesday night because the kids are running us out of this building. We've got kids' ministries where we've had to go to two sessions just to meet the needs of those that already know about our kids' camp. And I can tell you that Pastor Julie went over to some of the neighboring apartments and as she was talking to them, grandmothers were coming up going, oh, is there a church that we can invest in our kids' time? There's kids that are coming that we don't even know. Why? Because we're dreaming. We're dreaming. And if we reach them, God will provide for us. So I'm going to ask that you would take this. 
This is so that we can have money to buy land. I'm going to ask that you would, in just a moment, I'm going to pray for you and ask God, what can I do in the next six months? This is to be a pledge that will be fulfilled between now and the end of December. Because there are generations that are going to be determined what happens to them eternally based on our decisions. So here's what I want you to think about. 100 years from now, the only thing that will matter is who is in heaven and who is in hell. That's the only thing that's going to matter. 100 years from right now, who is in heaven and who is in hell and what role can we play in it? Father, I ask now that you would give us the ability to dream. Give us the ability to trust you for things that we didn't think you could do because we underestimated your power, your wisdom, and your extravagant promises. Lord, I don't want to waste a single day. And so I ask that you would show yourself strong in our ability to dream and imagine what we can do through your power. And may it start today with this offering and this time of pledging. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask that you would take this while the worship team sings, and we will collect these in an offering. And if you feel at the end of that, I need to take it home and pray over this, then you can do that. But let's see what God can do together.